then uh, bags as well. That would be helpful if I unmuted. How are we doing, church? Good. Awesome. You guys look good today. Online, you look good too, I think. Uh, So, one thing, if you are a college student, raise your hand. Raise your hand online if you're watching online. Uh, Next week, after church, we have a lunch hangout time for any college student that wants to come and hang out. We'll provide the pizza. Uh, There's going to be games. It's going to be just hanging out and chilling after the service. Uh, We'll feed you. I don't know if I said that. Uh, And just it's a time to hang out and build community together uh, as the college students that come to Renew Church. So do me a favor. If you're sitting here this morning saying, I want to come next week after church, take the Connect card sitting in front of you. Write down college lunch on it, and then put it in the give boxes in the back. That way we have some idea for how many pizzas we got to buy, all right? Otherwise, we're just going to buy way too many pizzas, and you could take it home. So, uh, you choose. Let's, uh, before we get into the sermon, I want to take a moment and just pray, okay? So, let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we pray for this time that we're together. We pray that we walk through the doors with your grace and mercy and we invite you into our lives. You are already working. You are already present in our lives. And I I guess the prayer is, I invite you to raise our awareness for what you're doing in our life. So that we can see you and we can respond to who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So on 7.51 a.m., on Friday, January 12th, in the middle of rush hour traffic, a violinist performed for 43 minutes six classical pieces as 1,097 people passed by. This was back in 2007. I don't know if we have any violinists in here. If so, I hope not to butcher this story. Uh, But there was a childhood prodigy uh, called Joshua Bell. And he is a legendary violinist, maybe one of the best in the world. He began taking violin lessons at the age of four after his mother discovered him that he'd stretched out some rubber bands across the handles of his dresser. And as he plucked out tunes that he heard on the piano, she sat there and thought, wow, like this kid's got something. He made his Carnegie Hall debut at age 17. And he decided to take, uh, participate in this little experiment. Completely unknown, he took his very expensive, priceless violin and went down to the metro station. Put on a hat, dressed in jeans, shirt, and just played. 
beautiful songs for 43 minutes as people rushed by about their, their commute, rushed by on their ordinary day, rushed by to get to work, to get to the place they were going, to get to school, and they rushed by as they went about their ordinary lives. While one of the greatest violinists in the world sat and played for him. It was interesting reading this article because he's like, I bet, I bet 150 or 200 people out of the morning commute will stop and just listen to me. And he, he opened up his violin case just like any other musician playing in the metro and laid it open for people to donate. He's like, I bet I'll get uh, thousands of dollars, if anything, hundreds of dollars is I play the best that I've got for people. We played for 43 minutes. A handful of people stopped to listen. People dropped 40 bucks in his case. To which he said, hey, 40 bucks an hour isn't too bad. But I find it interesting that the greatness was there playing in the metro station, in the ordinary life. The greatness came down to play at the level of ordinary humans. Normally, you'd have to pay over $100 a ticket to get okay seats wherever he was playing, whatever hall he was playing in. But the ordinary came to the people, stepped down, and sat in their midst and played. And then a majority of the people missed it. Right? Majority of the people just went about their life. Got to get to work. I'm running five minutes late. Got to catch the train. Got to catch the bus. Got to get to where I'm going. This is part of my everyday routine. This is what I do. A majority of the people missed that greatness was in their midst. Why? Because they were consumed by life. I love that this is the Christmas story, right? Jesus, God comes down, moves into the neighborhood, John says, lives among us, And it's very possible that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of everyday life, in the the midst of our wants and desires, and, and all the things that consume our everyday life, it's very possible that you and I could miss it. Yeah, yeah, we could even come to church on a regular basis and still miss it. See, Advent is when we come together and we celebrate that Jesus has been born. And as we celebrate, we get to be transformed by Christ, right? By Christ's life, by Christ's mission, by Christ dying on the cross, by the Holy Spirit coming and filling us, giving us power. We get to be transformed as we wait 
while we're being transformed for Jesus to come back. That's Advent. That's the Christmas season. So a question for us. Are you going to miss Jesus this year? It's easy to miss the greatness that dwelt among us when we're consumed by life. But when we understand the greatness that dwelt among us, it's what makes life make sense. And here's the beautiful thing about the Christmas story. There's all sorts of things that we can identify with in the Christmas story. Last week we talked about waiting. Are we going to actively wait or are we going to passively wait? There's a godly, Christ-centered way of waiting and there's not. The actively waiting is the Christ-centered way of waiting in which we're waiting for God to do something in our lives or around us and we are joy-filled We are filled with faith. We are praying. We are hoping. We are getting together with people, getting encouragement. All that stuff is the active, godly waiting that transforms you and I. And then there's the passively waiting where you're just sitting back and you're like, well, I'm just going to throw up a prayer request every now and then. I don't really expect Jesus to do anything, but here I am. I'm just going to keep living my life, stay in my lane, while hopefully Jesus someday comes away, comes through. One builds relationship, one tears it down. I don't want us to miss Jesus. In the busyness of every or of the ordinary life. It's my hope and prayer. That Jesus, as we celebrate, as we wait, as we, se- as we uh, live into the arrival of Christ in our lives, I pray that we are transformed. That this just isn't something you go to once a week, or it's just not something that you like, that's the reason for the season type of thing. This is the thing that we live for. And turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is a prophet and he's talking to the nation of Israel and he's trying to get them to come back to God. They keep wavering. They keep going off course. They keep looking to other idols. They keep doing all these things that are ungodly. And he keeps going, come back, come back to relationship with God. And in the book of Isaiah, there's a ton of prophecies about Jesus being born. In Isaiah chapter 9 says this, in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now real quick, I just want to do a quick overview We usually go through this once a year because it's so important for us to understand. But there is a thread of light, a theme of light throughout the entire scriptures. And if we're not paying attention, we might miss 
So the thread of light in the entire scriptures, we talked about Genesis, right? A few, maybe a month ago, we talked about the beginning of Genesis. And do you remember the Hebrew word that was for all of darkness and chaos? Do you remember that word? What? Boom! Somebody remembered that. It's amazing. Tohu vavohu. It's the Hebrew word, and it describes that there is darkness, chaos, it's formless and empty before God speaks into creation. There's tohu vavohu. We talked about how there's this in our lives. Tohu vavohu. God said, let there be light with whose words light was created. And it's interesting because I don't know if we talked about this or not, but this was not moonlight. This was not sunlight. This was some other light that was created. The sun and the moon were created the fourth day. This was a different light. See, the string of light begins in Genesis and goes all the way through the entire story of God. The story of God that you and I are invited into goes all the way through Revelation. In Exodus, we have the next scenario of light. When the people are in slavery, these are God's people. The nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and they were crying out because they were oppressed. They are crying out for God to rescue them. God brought Moses, and he began the rescue mission. And part of that rescue mission was the plagues that came. See, there were ten plagues that came to counteract the ten Egyptian gods. So God was showing his power and his might in an attempt that this would free the people as they cried out to him. And one of the plagues, the ninth plague, was the plague of darkness. Darkness fell on the land for three days. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 23, it said, No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. That's one of those, like, you don't really read that part of the story or pay attention to it, but you're kind of like, Whoa, what? Hold up. It's one little verse, but that is amazing. Complete darkness. But the people of God had the light in their homes. And this isn't kind of light that like the Egyptians could have gone in and taken. Because I'm sure they would have. Three days is a long time to be in complete and total darkness. This is before streetlights and stuff, right? Before batteries. You're dark. But the people of God had light where they were. Throughout scripture, there's this theme. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? John chapter 1, I'm the light. The word In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made, and that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is John's kind of cosmic view of the Christmas story. We have other gospels that talk about the on the ground Christmas story, but this is John's kind of cosmic view, the, the from space view of what was going on when Jesus was born. Darkness can't overcome the light. Then we have in John 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this. When Jesus came, when Jesus was crucified, uh, something happens. And the result is the powers that have been locked up that have have locked up the world in corruption, decay, and death are overthrown. And Jesus is, from now on, running the show. 1 Corinthians says it like this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ. And then you follow that thread of light all the way through. And you get to Revelation. Revelation 21, 20 through, 22 through 26. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it, into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of nations will be brought into it. Do you get it? Like Christmas isn't just like, hey, we get some presents. We get to get together for holidays. We get some lights. We get to go do fun things. No, Christmas is the light coming to the world, moving into the neighborhood. And this light overcomes all darkness, then, now, and forever. That is what we get to celebrate. That is what we get to be a part of. That is the story that you and I are invited into. Jesus was born in a manger. There is so much more to the story that you and I get to celebrate. We get to be transformed by it. So a question. How is the light transforming you? This Christmas season, as we sit in the second week of Advent, as we prepare our hearts for Jesus, as we prepare our lives for him, how are you letting the light 
transform you. Will you miss it? Bless you. In this devotional, I've been reading Honest Advent. The author writes, uh, John writes that the word, the Christ, gave life to everything and everyone. In this word's life, Jesus brought light to everyone. Another way to say it is there's a giver of this life, and then the giver of this life joins that life, and his life brings light to all of life. Catch that? This next part is the part that makes it a little more clear. To put simply, the function of light is to help us see more clearly. Jesus' life helps us see our own lives more clearly. And I would add on to that, if we let it. Right? If we take a second to just pause in the midst of chaotic, busy life, in the, in the midst of everything that's going on, that we just pause enough to let the light shine on us. The function of light is to help us see more clearly. Jesus' life helps us see our own lives more clearly. So here's a question for you. What is this? Good job. What happens if I shake this water? What? It'll spill, right? (laughs) Audible gasps from the crowd. What comes out of this when I shake it? Water. It's not a trick question. When you shake a water bottle, water comes out of it, right? What happens when your life is shaken? What comes out? <laughs> well, somebody said water. <laughs> I mean, tears, yeah, I guess that works. Uh, when our life gets shaken, what's inside comes out. When life is shaken, what comes out of your life? The last year and a half, what's come out of your life? The last year and a half is a beautiful scenario to go, what's really inside? Because as life becomes more stressful, as the temperature gets turned up, as stressful things happen, stuff comes out. And a good question to ask is, what is coming out? Because it's a good indication of how much the light is helping you see clearly and how much the light is actually transforming what is coming out of your life. Stress comes out, a situation, a relationship, a comment. What comes out? Are we allowing the light to help you see your own life more clearly? Your motives, your passions, your vision for your life, your work, your relationships. Last week we talked about being vulnerable, 
being open and honest with God for who you are. And there's a reason why I keep coming back to this, our emotions. Are we allowing the light to help us see our emotions and our thoughts more clearly? And then the second part of that, are we allowing the light, Jesus, Holy Spirit, to transform our thoughts and emotions as we have them? I think there's a reason why sometimes as Christians, we can believe in Jesus, we can come to church, we can even read scripture, we can pray, we can do all the things and still miss it and still not be transformed by the light. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to wall off parts of us. And we go, this this over here is my Christian part. This over here is the part that I go to church, I I do my devotion every now and then, I, I can talk all the Jesus things with other Christians, I can do all the things, and then over here is the rest of my life. I think when we do that, we miss it. Like we walk by in the station and we completely miss the greatness that moved into the neighborhood, that sent his spirit. So, this is what I ask what are your emotions and what are you thinking? Are you seeing them clearly in? The light. And are you being transformed by the light? Because our emotions, our thoughts, are sometimes those things that we wall off. We hang on to the Christian thoughts, but we wall off the non-Christian thoughts. Like the part of us that's anger, angry, the part of us that's bitter, the part of us that struggles to forgive, the part of us, us that wants things, the, all the parts of us, we wall off and we go, this is Christian, this isn't. And our goal, like we talked about last week, is to become vulnerable with God and to integrate all of that because only when we do that, only when the light sees our thoughts and our emotions clearly can it be Begin the transforming work. Pete Scazzaro, we're reading through this book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And he says, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be an image bearer of God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. Why? Because our feelings are a component of what it means to be made in the image of God. To cut them out of our spirituality is to slice off an essential part of our humanity, of how God created us. So are we letting the light into all of our lives? Every part. Our emotions. 
our thoughts, our motives, our desires, our relationships. It's one thing to just talk about the light, right? It's one thing to just say, like, yeah, I know Scripture. I I logically know this. But it's another thing to actually experience it. And it's easy to miss it, right? It's easy to get distracted. One of the exercises that I've been doing to kind of integrate this is to take a stock of my thoughts and feelings. Now remember, this isn't like me going all like whatever you would label that. This is me integrating ourselves with Jesus. So this book, Winning the War in Your Mind, by Craig Rochelle, gives this challenge in the first couple chapters. Take stock of your thoughts and your feelings and just write it all down. Good, bad, ugly. Write it all down. Because that's the first step, right? We can hide in the darkness or try to or we could expose it to the light. So the first step is to take stock. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then you take that list and you just give it to Jesus. You start processing that list. I seem to be angry a lot. That's a constant emotion that keeps kicking up. I'm angry. Something happens, I'm angry. I'm disappointed, I'm angry. Well, what is that? And maybe you can help, you can let the light help you see that more clearly. So worship team comes up. I want to encourage us. This Advent season, as we celebrate, and I hope we celebrate well, we should be the people that celebrate the best. Right? As we celebrate, as we sit and look at how Jesus is currently active in our lives, how Jesus is the light, how Jesus is transforming you and I right now as we are prepared for him coming back someday. I pray that we wouldn't miss it in the busyness of life, the distraction. And I pray that we allow the light that overcomes the darkness to help us clearly see our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Savior. You are our Messiah. You are Emmanuel, God 
with us. You are the light. And Jesus, I pray. I pray as we continue in this Advent season, continue being transformed, continue to be shaped by you as we prepare our hearts for you. That we would pay attention to what comes out when life gets shaken. And that we would invite you in, the light that transforms. Amen.